After five years with the Info Law Group, Tanya Forscheidt, Information Security and Privacy Attorney, has relocated to the firm of Baker Hostetler, where she's a partner. Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with Tanya Forscheidt about her move. Tanya, first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. So talk about this new role that you've stepped into, please. Sure, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, as you said, I'm a partner with Baker Hostetler's uh, Privacy and Data Protection Group based out of the Los Angeles office, and I am joining a fantastic existing group that is nationwide and includes people like Ted Kobus and Jerry Ferguson in New York and Pamela Jones-Harbor, former FTC commissioner out of D.C., and Alan Friel here in Los Angeles. So I'm joining a fantastic group and bringing my own experience uh, handling compliance, transactional, and litigation matters for clients uh, across the privacy and data security space. So give me a sense of what your areas of focus are going to be now at Baker Hostetler. In many ways, my focus will remain similar to what it has been uh, over the last, you know, five to ten years. So that includes a significant amount of compliance and counseling work for clients in a number of industry sectors. I have clients in financial services, media and entertainment, consumer electronics, technology, fraud detection, even oil and gas. Um, I, I help them to develop the uh, most effective policies and procedures and practices when it comes to compliance with all of the many, many privacy and data security laws out there. Uh, you know, some people like to talk about how we don't really have a comprehensive privacy uh, law in this country, and that's true in the sense that we don't have a single federal privacy law that governs everyone in a, in a uniform way, but what we have instead is, is, and you'll hear this from lots of practitioners in the space, um, so definitely not a, a phrase that I came up with, but that it's a patchwork quilt, dozens and dozens of state laws that govern data security and security breach notification, as you know, and then on the federal level, depending on the industry sector, financial services, the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, healthcare, HIPAA, other statutes that govern things like children's privacy, COPPA, electronic communications, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. There's just a tremendous number of statutes, and that's not even starting to scratch the surface of marketing privacy statutes like can spam and the Telephone Consumer Protection Act that restricts the manner in which companies can use personal information to market to people. And then other state statutes in a variety of places, including California, because we're very special here, that govern unique things like whether you can collect certain kinds of information at the point of sale when you're engaged in a credit card transaction and, and which has spawned a lot of litigation statutes that deal with what has to be in your privacy policy and what kind of disclosures you have to make if you're tracking uh, individuals as they surf the Internet. And so I, I assist my clients in complying with all those various laws and also developing best practices so they can hopefully do even better than just mere compliance and, and be on the forefront in terms of um, being privacy protective and privacy friendly, which, which can be a huge business advantage as well. And then I also help them with their transactions with vendors, a lot of IT outsourcing and cloud computing deals, 
which involve these issues and other issues as well, of course. And then finally, I'm a litigator, and my training going way back to the beginning of my career 17 years ago is as a commercial litigator, and I handle all kinds of complex litigation, including privacy class actions involving some of those statutes I mentioned, like the text messaging uh, restrictions and the point-of-sale data collection restrictions, and, and in California, restrictions on the use and sharing of medical information under the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act. So I, I litigate those disputes as well, and I'll continue to do all of that here. Tanya, with all of that, how do you ever take a day off? Uh, um, I don't. <laughs> but there's good news, which is that I, I really, truly love what I do, and honestly, that's what drove me to start Info Law Group five years ago because uh, as much as I had loved my original legal home at Proskauer, and I really did, uh, I wanted to focus even more on these issues and spend all of my time sort of developing that in an entrepreneurial way. And it was wonderful and it was tremendously successful and, and it continues to be very successful, by the way. And I have my former colleagues there are extraordinary and, and uh um, they are going to continue to grow in, in really impressive ways. Uh, but, you know, I got to a point where I felt that I needed to sort of take the next step, and especially on the litigation front, because I, I wanted to be in a place where I would have a bigger platform from which to handle the litigation work, which is growing bigger class actions that require more resources and, and clients look to larger law firms for that. And so I, I thought that a firm like Baker would be a perfect fit in that regard. And, and so that was one of the reasons why I, I thought this was the right time to join up with the very impressive group here that, that has already been expanding. So, Tanya, from my perspective, I see hot stories this year, like the point-of-sale breaches, all the discussion yeah. about this, the future of payment security. What do you find from the litigation side to be the real hot security privacy trends that are driving your business? Well, for a very long time, and we continue to see this now, we have this ongoing issue of whether plaintiffs can establish harm or injury in connection with some of these privacy claims. Now, in certain areas, including in the data security breach area, plaintiffs have found a lot of trouble with that, and courts have not been inclined to let them get very far because a lot of the time it's it's seen as very speculative. Um, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to be the victim of identity theft, but who really knows what happened? And even if there's been a breach where, you know, if it whether it's a, um, a backup tape that fell off a truck somewhere or an email that was misdirected, you know, often it's possible that information has never been misused or never will be misused, right? And, of course, there are other instances where it might be, where, you know, you've got hackers or other bad guys who have gone out of their way to try to obtain information and take advantage of vulnerabilities in, in corporate systems. And, and in those cases, it may very well happen, but it's very hard for plaintiffs to demonstrate that there's been harm. And so in that area, I think we're going to continue to see the courts pushing back on that because it, it, there really isn't a lot to work with as far as the injury is concerned. That being said, there are all these other areas where the statutes provide for statutory damages and where plaintiffs don't have to actually prove harm. 
And this can be particularly problematic for a number of companies who find themselves as defendants in these cases because often there really hasn't been any sort of wrongdoing as we can you know, think of it in the traditional sense. And often it's just a case of some sort of anecdotal mistake or maybe even uh, not something that was consistent with corporate policy or just something that, uh, you know, shouldn't have happened perhaps, but never caused any harm. And we've seen a number of cases in various areas come up in this in this context. The point of sale data collection cases, cases involving truncation of credit card numbers in the past, although those have been addressed in many ways by amendments to the statute. Like I mentioned, the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, which has a nominal damage provision as well, and the text messaging and other kinds of marketing cases involving facts, which believe it or not still comes up, or uh, telemarketing where plaintiffs are upset about receiving lots of unwanted uh, messages. But, you know, in those cases, for example, there are often situations where plaintiffs actually have agreed to turn over their phone numbers um, for, for these kinds of uses, but they take issue with certain ways in which the number was used, and then we get into these long, drawn-out disputes where the defendants have to spend a lot of money just to get to the point where you can talk about the merits of the case, and those costs are so significant that it really means that you know organizations need to be looking right from the beginning and setting up policies and procedures that will keep them out of these situations so they never have to even be named in one of these lawsuits and have to incur the costs of defending even where they may be totally in the right and did everything correctly. But unfortunately, sometimes even one little misstep can land somebody in, in one of these situations. And sometimes it's not even a misstep. Sometimes it's it's doing things exactly right, but the law has unanticipated consequences where a plaintiff can take advantage of that and try to claim that they've, you know, been been harmed when when you know, really, truly that isn't the case. So I think we're going to continue to see that grow in litigation, more and more of those cases, and more and more important for companies to both have their compliance in place, policies, procedures, best practices, but then also, if they do get sued, knowing how to most efficiently address those cases to try to avoid extensive costs in litigation that really don't serve anybody's benefit, and I say that as a litigator who loves to litigate, but most of the time it is not going to be in the client's interest to litigate for years and years over these things. Don, when you reflect on your experience prior to coming to Baker Hotstetler, what do you think is going to be the most valuable experience you bring to bear in this new role? Well, I bring a very sort of holistic perspective. I I see this as, you know, I'm kind of a hybrid lawyer. So I started as a litigator, but then about, you know, eight years into my career, really started doing a lot of compliance and transactional work. And it's pretty unusual for a lawyer to have that background. And actually, as a privacy lawyer, it's also even more unusual because a lot of privacy lawyers come from a um, transactional or compliance background. They, they don't litigate. I think as a litigator and having started as a litigator, I really have a very unique perspective on what the risks associated with these issues are. And I know what the reality is, and I know when it's something that a company really needs to worry about and should really, you know, make sure that never happens. And I know when it's something that really is just a non-issue or something that just doesn't 
raise the level of risk that company might otherwise think is involved. And so I can bring that practical perspective. I'm also extraordinarily business-oriented because I'm an entrepreneur myself, and I ran my own business uh, along with my partners, and I know what that's like, and I know what it means, and I know that companies are not interested in long memos full of legal ease about, you know, what the law says, you know, Ultimately, that's nice, but it really doesn't help us. What really helps is practical advice. What do we need to do? What can we not do? And where's the gray area that we can do our own business risk assessments to try to mitigate as much risk as possible? Tanya, I'm curious. How did you happen to choose security and privacy as as focuses in your own legal career? It seems like you made some pretty smart choices there. I will have to be honest and say that as so many things are true in life, I was very much in the right place at the right time. But I also think, and this is a general philosophy that I have about not just legal careers but careers in general, I think you have to seize opportunity when it comes to you. And I have gotten to where I am in my legal career because when those opportunities showed up, even if it was in some cases very challenging or intimidating or, you know, I might have felt sometimes like I wasn't sure I wanted to get into it. (laughs) Seizing those opportunities and really stepping up to the challenge, it has been crucial. So when I was at Proskauer and I had done a lot of litigation involving copyright and trademark, you know, soft intellectual property issues, and many of them also involving technology at the time, Um, things like when high-speed cable uh, internet access was new and and broadband issues and stuff like that, uh, that I was lucky enough to get to work on because, again, being in the right place at the right time, I got to work on those kinds of cases. And so that got me working with other lawyers in the firm who were interested in these issues. And so when privacy started to become a much hotter topic and an area with more legal regulation through HIPAA and Gramm-Leach-Bliley and then really also the data breach notification statutes. And and one of my partners in, in D.C. started the privacy group at the firm. I was very quick to step up and say I, I wanted to be part of that. Um, and, and honestly, it's because I found the area fascinating and I really wanted to do more and it was just very interesting. And so and, and I was in a good place. I was a senior associate at the firm, and and uh, you know could could spend time getting to know the area, and at the same time continue my practice and working hard. And I wasn't afraid of hard work, and and that's really how how I got there. What are the critical skills someone would need if they wanted to come in today and focus on information security and privacy? <laughs> yeah, you know it used to be that in the legal world, lawyers really shied away from technology and had, you know, wanted nothing to do with it. And so I think the other reason why I've been able to be successful here is because I didn't take that attitude. You know, I've always um, embraced technology. And even before I was working in privacy and data security, you know, in the very early days of handling e-discovery, and I was often the person running those those electronic document reviews. And I was just not, you know, I wasn't, 
uh, scared away from it, and I didn't refuse to talk to the IT folks. And it's that communication, the willingness to talk to IT, the willingness to work with IT and understand that they often know much better what needs to be done or uh, ideas for how to better comply, um, that's that's crucial. So I would definitely give that advice. And I would say these days you can actually take courses in privacy and data security law in law school, which was not the case when I was in school. Um, there are some fantastic uh, programs out there, so do that. And then just like like with any other legal field, work really hard, get the best grades you possibly can, and get hands-on legal experience becoming a good lawyer because no matter what else, you cannot do well in any area of legal practice, including this one, unless you learn how to be a good lawyer. Tanya, that's great advice. I appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thank you. have been talking about legal careers. I've been talking with Tanya Forscheid. She's a partner with Baker Hostetler. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.